Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. We are in Proverbs, everybody. Last week, there was a guy here, I forget his name, he used to be on staff, and he talked about friendship. Steve Hickson was here. I'm so glad he got to come back. He talked about friendship, and I think that's right in his wheelhouse. This morning, we're doing something in my wheelhouse. We're talking about the way of the foolish, all right? talking about how people are fools and and what it looks like. And before we dive into our text this morning, I think there's something we have to acknowledge up front, that, that societally and culturally, when we talk about foolish people, we usually use that term in a broad brush. If I'm going to say this person is foolish, in the way that we talk about people today, I mean usually they're just dumb, is how I use that word. And when I say dumb, I mean, we don't typically have the nuance for for individual traits of foolishness, but rather we use it to paint the whole or entirety of a person. In the scriptures, when it said foolishness, it specifically meant a path that you choose and not your mental capacity. One commentator said it like this, foolishness must always be remembered that the book has in mind a man's chosen outlook rather than his mental equipment. Let me tell you why that matters. Because I don't care how smart you are, you're still foolish. Welcome to Crossroads. We're glad you're here. All right? I, I think this is really difficult for us because we are an intellectual society and a rational society. And we think the more degrees you have, the less foolish you are. And that's not the picture that the scriptures are painting. The scripture paints a picture that foolishness is not your ability to reason. It's not how well you did on standardized testing. It's not what your IQ is. Foolishness is a path you choose, and you can be the smartest person in the world and still be foolish. We talked about Solomon a couple weeks ago. God said, don't do one thing. Don't intermarry, because when you intermarry with people that don't love God, it will take your affections away from God. He's the wisest man that ever lived, and yet one of the most foolish at the same time. Those things can coexist. And I know that to be true. I know that to be true in my own life, that we battle in life between foolishness and wisdom. And so if you come here this morning and you say, I'm a smart man, this is not for me. Yes, it is. A couple quotes I love. There's a writer from the 20th century, uh, Albert Hubbard, and he said, every man is a fool for at least five minutes every day. Wisdom consists in not exceeding the limit, right? Mark Twain said, I was young and foolish then, now I'm old and foolisher. So this brings to the forefront the tension of, I know there are parts in my life that are foolish. Regardless of what I get on tests or how smart I am or how old I am, I hope they're less than they were when I were young. But it's not a question of, are you foolish? It's what areas are you foolish in? And that's the conversation this morning. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through kind of one verse. And in this one verse in chapter one, we see three different kinds of fools that the Proverbs refers to again and again and again. And it's kind of a path. It starts with the least foolish, then it kind of goes down to the more foolish, then the most foolish example the Proverbs give. And what I want to do this morning is simply talk about the three. And maybe in the middle of talking about the three, one or two or three pop up in different areas of our life where we can recognize our foolishness. I think that's important. So one of the the things that sticks with me about my relationship with my wife, I remember the moment I did this premarital counseling with her, and, and this week was all on conflict management in marriage. You might not need that. I very much do. And so they, they walked through different kinds of people in conflict. 
And I remember, I'm, when I say I'm good at conflict, I just kind of like it a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit too much. And, and I think because I like it, I'm good at it. <laughs> um, and I never really dove into the kinds of ways that people react or interact in the middle of conflict. And so what they did, and it was really helpful, was they gave you four kinds of people in the middle of conflict. They gave labels and names to feels that I felt. And, and it's funny, two of the, the four I was, and when they said the words, I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. And the first one was a negative interpreter in the middle of conflict. I don't know if you know what that is. That's when you say something and you mean something neutral and I take it to mean the worst thing it could mean, right? I'm a negative interpreter. I also am this fun cocktail of a negative interpreter and an escalator. So it makes for a fun marriage. Very lively, everybody. Let me tell you what that looks like. So I enjoy cooking. I'm going to talk about cooking a few times this morning. I got in a kick a while ago where I was going to make like the best perfect scrambled egg. And in my opinion, and the opinion of all people that know good food, if you're going to make the best good scrambled egg, that takes at least 15 to 20 minutes, okay? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not, I promise, right? It's no color. It's constant movement of the eggs, and it makes these pillowy, fluffy eggs. And the first time you eat eggs like that, you're like, oh my goodness, this is not like rubber at all. So I made my wife these eggs. We're a week into marriage. We're talking weeks, not months. And I thought they were gorgeous. And I put it on her plate and she comes out and she sits down and she says to me, I remember this moment exactly because this is when I thought the beginning of the end happened. I, I said, here's the eggs. And she says, can we put them back? Can we put them back on the heat for a little while longer? And I thought in that moment, she simply asked for her eggs to be more cooked. And I heard, I hate you, you're a terrible chef, and I don't think this marriage is going to make it, right? I took it very, very personal. I remember the moment still because it still hurts just a little bit, right? And so what that did when I went through this premarital counseling is now when I go to that extreme, my wife can look at me and say, hey, stop negatively interpreting. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing that. Sorry, I should stop that right now. It gives us a label so we can recognize and rid that behavior. Today we're walking through the path of the foolish. And here is my goal as we walk through it. Hopefully, we see these different elements in our lives so that we can recognize and rid ourselves of the foolishness we walk in. And so the verse we're going to use this morning is Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 1, 22. It goes like this. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? It outlines the way of the foolish we see in Proverbs we have three there that we're going to dive into, the simple, the fools themselves, and the mockers. And each one is a little farther down the road of the foolish. Before we get into that, we're going to do what we do on Sunday mornings. We're going to spend a couple seconds and, and just pray for our time together. Because we don't believe that you're here just to listen. We believe that you are actively engaging in what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right here, right now, today. And so I'm going to take some time and ask that you pray that the Spirit does a work in you. That the Spirit reveals where you're foolish this morning so that we can walk into wisdom, which is what we're talking about next week. I want to pray that God convicts you today because I love you, and I want you to walk in the way of Jesus. And then I'm going to ask that you pray for me this morning, that I say things that accurately reflect wisdom and not foolishness in this conversation. So let's take some time and pray together. God, I'm thankful for our time. I'm thankful that you care enough about us to talk about what foolishness looks like in our day-to-day I pray in our time together that you guide us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you work through the scriptures to reveal in us where we need to look more like Jesus. If you're comfortable, I'd ask that you take just a couple seconds and pray to yourself and ask that the Holy Spirit might work in you today as you read and hear the message from the Lord.
And I see you pray for me that I might say things that are good, and by good I mean they define and reflect us back to the character of a God who's good. Um, that they're encouraging and edifying even if they're hard so that we might look more like Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. We're in it together. Let's go back to verse 22 in chapter 1. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? The first kind of fool we see that's prevalent throughout the book of Proverbs is simply the idea of the simple. And the simple, we're going to find each one. The simple is the not yet fully foolish fool, everybody. Right? Say that five times fast. I just said it once. I'm done. The simple is the not yet fully foolish fool. I did it again. Are you impressed yet? It is simply those people that might not yet have stepped into wisdom or stepped into folly, but they're there. It's kind of the battleground of the Proverbs. If we remember how we've defined Proverbs throughout this series, a Proverbs is an object lesson or short saying that helps you choose the course of action to follow or avoid. So wisdom and folly aren't just the whole of a person. They're made up of the simple actions we find in the day-to-day. And, and the picture that's painted throughout the Proverbs is that wisdom and folly are battling for you. They're fighting for you, whether you know it or not. That they're both screaming at you. Folly screams, wisdom whispers, and they want you to follow in their path. And so when we see the idea of the simple, literally it takes us back to the idea that there's a battle going on for your actions, for your desired course, for your day-to-day wisdom or folly. And we see that throughout the scriptures, throughout the Proverbs, this battle, Proverbs 19. Flog a scorner, and a result... And as a result, the simpleton will learn uh, prudence, correct a discerning person, and as a result, he will understand knowledge, meaning that the simple can choose wisdom if he wishes, or he can't. Proverbs 14, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. There's a battle going on, and the simple hasn't made up their mind on which way they're going to go yet. And let me tell you why that's foolish. The word picture there in the original language in the Hebrew is, is that of an open door, right? A wide open door. I don't know if you guys leave doors open around your house. I, I do. I'm just an open door guy. I, I forget. My trash can is in the back of my lawn. And so when I need to take the trash out, I'll leave the door open just to go for that 40 or 50 feet to the trash can and back. And my wife is yelling the entire time because when I leave the door open, bugs always come in. Always. And my wife is deathly afraid of all bugs. And so she will slam the door and say, did you leave the door open? I'll say, sure, of course. I left the door open. I didn't think it was going to do much harm. And she'll count the number of bugs I've let in. There were nine bugs that came in that time. Right? We're like, how can you know that? It's the idea that when you leave a door open, you leave a door open for things that you might not want to come in to come in. Proverbs 14 says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. It's a simple idea that I have no filter on what I know or what I believe. One commentator said, a simple person has left the door to their heart and their mind wide open. And so all kinds of ideas about God, the world, and themselves have just walked out the door. But it goes two ways, right? Growing up, I remember I've always been a door open person. I would leave a door open and my mom and dad would yell, you know the phrase, you know, shut the door, we're trying to air condition the whole neighborhood kind of sort of thing, which doesn't make rational sense to me, but it's stuck, you know? And so 
as well as with things coming in that we don't want. When we leave the door open, meaning when we haven't decided yet to walk in wisdom, wisdom also walks out of our life, just like things walk into it. And it paints a picture of somebody that hasn't chosen yet to walk in wisdom, and it says those people are foolish. Because here's the deal, the simple are foolish because when you're simple, you are vulnerable to sin. That's it. When you're simple, you're vulnerable to sin. And let me make something pretty clear here. When it's talking about simple, it doesn't mean you have to be an expert in everything. This is not skills. This is morality. This isn't talking about the idea that you um, don't know how to play guitar or don't know what to do about cabinets or aren't an expert in politics. This is saying when it comes to the things of the heart, the way of the foolish and the way of the wise is a conversation about how we live into the influence of Jesus morally, ethically in our world. And if you get to points in times where you have an ethical or a moral tension and you haven't made up your mind, the Proverbs are pretty clear. That's a dumb place to be because in that moment, you are vulnerable to foolishness and sin. And guess where mostly our hearts bend towards when we're vulnerable in the moment? Sin. You know, going up doing youth pastor stuff all the time, and this applies to adults, we tell kids all the time that if you're dating somebody, that's fine. But if you don't have a plan for what happens when you guys are alone, I can tell you where that's going to lead. And so it's the idea that before you get to the moments where you have to make a decision, know before you go. Because lots of things drive the simple. Sometimes it's just laziness. You don't want to do the work. Sometimes it's fear. (laughs) One of my favorite examples of fear driving really just naivete, if you want to, is um, I recently went to the beach and with my family. And I love when people freak out about, I I have a lot of irrational fears too, like snakes, but that's not irrational. That's extremely rational. Read Genesis 3. But I I think (laughs) one of my favorite irrational fears of people is, is sharks. I just don't understand why people are afraid of shark attacks. I don't get it. Do some research and learn. For example, I did some research this week, everybody. Newsweek reported last month, this a month ago, that 259 people died in 137 selfie-related incidents between 2011 and 2017, right? 50 people were killed by sharks in that same time span. It is more dangerous for you to take a selfie on all levels, physically, emotionally, spiritually, right? Then for you to get into the ocean and swim with sharks. My point is, sometimes we'll go to the beach and people won't get in the water because they're afraid they're going to get eaten by a shark. You're probably not going to. And if you're that one unlucky person that year, then I just don't know what you could have done to stop it, (laughs) you know? When we're simple, when we're naive, when we don't do due diligence to figure out our steps before we get to vulnerable places, usually something's driving that, and it could be fear, and it could be pride. It could just be an unwillingness to know because we're afraid of what's next. I, why this matters is it doesn't just stop with how we take vacations. It transfers into how we interact with God. I met with a guy this week. He stopped up here out of the blue, and he just talked about how he didn't want to go back to churches because he had some baggage and he wouldn't give any church a shot. And I'd say, hey, man, that's a little naive. All churches, all churches full of broken people, but there are ones that are really trying to help. Don't stop short, press in and get to know. Sometimes a simple use fear and baggage as a means to not get to know anybody, you know? I had coffee with somebody this a couple of years ago and she was in the middle of maybe losing her faith and she had a really hard time with one of the hardest questions, which is if people don't know Jesus, do they end up not knowing Jesus forever? That's a... It's a nicer way to say hell. 
And the Bible seems to teach that, yeah, that, that's the case and that's what's going to happen. And she had a hard time reconciling the fairness in that. And frankly, I do too sometimes. That's a very difficult question. But I sat there and I talked to her and I said, so why do you have a problem with it? And she said, I just don't know. I do. I said, well, what do you think is right? She said, I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel good about it. And, and as we pressed into this conversation, it became pretty apparent that she was in a vulnerable place. And I, I encouraged her, hey, here's here's what I want to tell you to do is do work and do research and press in and get to know and don't be naive and then make a decision. So ask good questions about the character of God. Believe me, he can take it, you know? So when we talk about the simple and the vulnerable and the naive, he's saying, don't be that kind of fool because if you get to a situation where vulnerability is exposed, usually the way the foolish prevails, press in, do work. Don't just go through life with the excuse of I just didn't care enough to know. And so he says, how long will you who are simple love simple ways? It's a foolish place to start. And then he keeps walking down that path for us. How long will mockers delight in mockery? And here's the next one we're going to deal with. How long will fools hate knowledge? So dear fool, it's all, it's the most prominent of the three that we see in the book of Proverbs. It's, it's three different words in the Hebrew, and it's really seen over 60 times, but they, but they all kind of mean the same things. Uh, there's a good verse that describes kind of what they mean. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. When it paints a picture between these three words, it literally in one of them means thickness or fat. And you might say that doesn't make sense, but what it, what it literally means is that you are too thick to hear from other people. That like the knowledge and wisdom just isn't getting through. I took a beach vacation with my family. I have olive skin, everybody. Always have, right? I'm a lucky, lucky person. I didn't really do the sunscreen thing growing up. I'm sure I'm going to look 80 in two years. It's okay. It'll come back to get me, all right? But I married into a family with some pale people, all right? And my daughter is not olive skin. True story. I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to. True story. When my kid was being born, I think the first words I said when, when I saw her for the first time was, dang it, she has your complexion. <laughs> it's not a good thing to do for any soon-to-be fathers. My daughter is very pale. We took a beach vacation, and I learned for the first time that it's not enough to just put SPF 2000 new skin on your kid. You have to buy clothes now that have SPF protection. My point is we could have dropped my kid off in the middle of the Sahara for a week and she probably would have come back paler than we left her, all right? That's the picture that's painted in the Hebrew. It's the idea that no matter how hard wisdom comes at you or how much you hear wisdom, it's never going to soak in because you are foolish, Tim Keller says, we are naturally obstinate and unwise. It's a simple idea that you can listen to wisdom all the time, but you don't trust it. I haven't used a baseball analogy yet this morning, and it's getting late, so I better get one in. Um, one of my favorite baseball movies, which is a very, very adult movie, by the way, is Bull Durham. And there's a scene in Bull Durham that I, that I just always watch at the beginning of baseball season. There's this pitcher, and he's a very good pitcher. He's always been a very good pitcher. He's a fastball pitcher. And so he thinks that no matter what situation he gets in, he should throw a fastball. He's playing at a better level than before, and he doesn't understand that what always worked for him won't work all the time because he's growing up. And so the catcher says, hey, you're going to throw a curveball, and he just shakes him off, shakes him off, shakes him off. So the catcher finally lets him throw a fastball, actually tells the batter, and the guy takes him over the right field wall, right? It's a simple idea that he refused to listen to the wisdom of anybody else because he didn't think he needed it. And that's the second kind of fool. And frankly, I think this is the most prominent one. I don't trust anybody else's wisdom because I have my own and everybody else is stupid. That's dangerous, you know? 
That's really dangerous. Proverbs 18 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his own opinion. So then what does wisdom become in those moments? It becomes what Proverbs 26 says, like legs dangle uselessly from the lame, so Proverbs dangles in the mouth of fools. This word fools means those who won't even hear wisdom because they think their wisdom is the only wisdom. This doesn't mean that we accept everything. We've talked extensively about how we're supposed to be critical thinkers as we approach Jesus in our world. But it does mean that you're probably not the only source of truth. And if you think you are, I'm telling you, you have a problem. And that problem is absolutely unadulterated pride. The the foolish can't see wisdom because they really just can't see past themselves. And, And look, this is a problem I think we have in Jesus' world too. A couple weeks ago, there was a pamphlet passed around that somebody gave out and, and it talked about spiritual practices. It talked about, you know, um, spiritual disciplines as we call them, which are just things that we do to connect with God, whether it's reading the scripture or praying together or sometimes fasting. We're going to talk about um, in January this next year, we're going to talk about the idea of resting or Sabbath. These are just things we do to connect with God. They point us to who God is and help us see God more, right? And so, uh, for example, spiritual disciplines are widely accepted. They have been for about two millennia. DTS has a whole department on them. And this one pamphlet just didn't like them. And what scared me when I read this pamphlet wasn't that I think they they didn't understand the nature of what they were in the first place. There's a section in this pamphlet where they talked about everybody else that got it wrong. Everybody else. I'm going to read a couple of these because it blew me away. It said, here's the people that get it wrong that don't know what they're doing. Dallas Theological Seminary, I would stop after that. Maybe question myself and say they might know something I don't. Um, Philip Yancey, N.T. Wright, Thomas Aquinas. If you question Thomas Aquinas and you don't think he knew what he was talking about, we need to do a little church history reading. Eugene Peterson, Christianity Today, and Chuck Swindoll. If you think Chuck Swindoll is out there on the progressive spectrum, then we have an issue. But my point is simply, if everybody else is wrong and you're the only one right, I'm going to say that maybe you're being a fool in the moment. Because the beauty of gathering together is shared wisdom. That maybe I don't have the market on who Jesus is and who God is. And I need, I need the value of the wisdom of others that have gone before me, that walk alongside with me, and who will go after me to fill in the blanks of the God that I can't fully comprehend because he's bigger than me. The foolish can't see wisdom because they literally can't see past themselves. And here's the problem with that. When you start with a prideful foolishness, when you start with a prideful foolishness, it only leads to one place, and that's entrenchment, full entrenchment. Because I'm too prideful to admit that I need others. I'm too prideful to admit I was wrong. And we see it. We see it on so many different spectrums of our world today, on so many different news and political shows Proverbs 26 talks about the entrenchment that comes with being this kind of fool. It says, like the dog that returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly because pride is at the root of it. They double down and they can't stop by pressing into their own wisdom. And here's what I don't want to admit. There are times in my life, in my world, where I'm exactly this way. (laughs) When I get in fights with my wife, when I can't admit that maybe I'm wrong. There are times when I refuse to admit that I need wisdom from other people. So the Bible says, when you have those kind of people, it is like a dog that returns to his vomit. It is a way that a wise man is right in his own eyes, and he listens to only his advice. When it says way in Proverbs 12 there, that doesn't just mean one decision. The way, when we read that in Psalms and Proverbs, it's his path of life. It's the way that he goes every day. 
So it paints a dark picture of someone who only is walking further down the path. It paints a dark picture of somebody who doesn't just not have his mind made up when those vulnerable places come, but it's when our knowledge is cemented by our own arrogance so we can't even hear or see or practice wisdom. It's a scary place to be. And then the final one, if you go back to verse 22, is the mockers or the scoffers. They're interchangeable there. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will the mockers or scoffers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? The last group we get are the scoffers. They're the, they're the contagious critics, right? It's the idea that they are the ones who share, not only have an arrogance that believes that their wisdom is the only wisdom that already chose to walk on foolishness and vulnerable points and not walk in wisdom, but now it's just not enough for me to believe it. I need you to believe it too. I don't know if you guys know what militant atheism is. It's been on the rise for the last probably two decades. So atheism is a belief that there is literally atheism, no God. So militant atheism is Christopher Hitchin and Sam Harris, and it's literally Christopher Hitchin... um, as a quote that I like, and he, he basically says that when you talk about militant atheism, it's the idea that there's no room for a God in the world as we see it. And he believes that atheists should be forceful in opposing your religion. The, the mocker or the scoffer literally isn't just saying that my wisdom is my wisdom, but it's a me to we problem. It spreads and it grows. So we take foolishness, not just from my world, but we need to spread my foolishness onto the world of others. It's the move from me to we. So it's not enough just for me to believe there's no God. I'm going to make sure everybody else holds that same belief as I do. Proverbs 24 talks about these group, and it says, the devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. An abomination to mankind. So this is like, the hardened fool, the one that's angry, the critic that won't stop being a critic all the time. And you know what happens when you're a critic that won't stop being a critic all the time? Usually, you're a pretty joyless person. (laughs) If you're only a critic and you only scoff and you only mock all the time, you see through everything to where there's nothing to see anymore. Let's go back to food stuff. We do brunches at my house sometimes. My wife has pulled me aside and talked about how I'm not allowed to act anymore. I spend hours cooking these meals and usually something goes wrong, like something's not seasoned well or I burned something. And I would get in a point when I'd look at this dish that I had made and I have all these other people saying it's really great, just being nice, but they say it's really great. And I would only see the problems with it. And so they'd say, Charlie, this is really good. And I'd say, it's terrible, but thanks, you know? They'd say, Charlie, I really like this. I'd say, it's, it's not good at all, but you don't have to keep lying to me. And they just want to be nice. The problem is in those moments that the full-hearted, hard-hearted mockers rob joy from everywhere. C.S. Lewis writes a book called The um, Abolition of Man, and he said, I love what he says here, you can't go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same as not to see. (laughs) So if you're a constant critic, you keep seeing through everything, you've missed the point of the things in the first place. One thing I'm looking forward to is the holiday season with my kid because it kind of brings new meaning back into the older they get. So we we do these traditions and we talk about these things that we believe in and sure there's holes you can poke in the things that we believe in, but the point isn't, the point isn't that that the things that we believe in is, is airtight. It points to something bigger and better. It gives us a hope that there's something outside of what we see. 
And if we constantly look through everything, we rob the world of the hope that we have, you know? Let's go back to that guy that I talked to in my office this week. He was so critical of all churches, and I don't blame him. He had some rough experiences, but he's so critical of all churches, he missed the point that all churches filled with broken people served to point us to our need for Jesus in the first place. And if you're only critical and you only look through, you miss what we're trying to point to in the first place. So it says of mockers, they are an abomination to mankind because they rob us of the hope that we so desperately need. Tim Keller says, habitual mocking will harden you and poison relationships. And I know that to be true. Gives us a solution though, Proverbs 22.10. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. This idea that the only way we deal with foolishness as it progresses down the road, the only way we deal with it is to completely rid it from our camp. I came back from my little trip last week and I was alone, keep sniffing, I'm a little under the weather-ish. There was some stuff, I was in camping and I think when I go camping, my body's like, that's not who you are, but I'm gonna convince it that it is, you know? So I'm like, I'm gonna do it. It's like, really though, seriously, find a hotel and find one that's at least four stars. I'm working on it, everybody. So I went camping and I came back and um, I am under the firm belief that unless I'm dying, I'm coming to work, which is probably not a value statement for the employees here, but I don't care. So we have a, a worship meeting on Tuesdays where we talk about all the things that we messed up on Sundays. It's super positive. And we were sitting upstairs in my office and we sit at this round table and it's me on one side because they could tell that I wasn't feeling well and everybody else on the other, you know? I'm like, I'm, you're not gonna get me sick. We had Andrea and Chris and, and Steph who's seven months pregnant. I mean, she, could, she was almost in the other room, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just this idea that you will not get me sick. And when it says, when it talks about those who are scoffers and mockers is literally, it's like a virus and it spreads. And so the only way to get rid of it is to kick it out of your camp. We do not, cannot have any space for foolishness because we know where it leads. And that's the big idea. And that's where we're ending is that wherever you're out in the road of foolishness, whether it's, man, I don't know yet, but I haven't made up my mind and I should dive in and not be vulnerable, or whether it's, I know what I believe and nobody can talk me off that ledge. My wisdom is my truth and nobody else has any of it. Or if it's as far as everybody's done but me and I'm gonna convince them of my foolishness, it all leads to one place and one place only. It leads to destruction. Read the end of chapter one if you want to. God says that I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and your foolishness because you didn't listen is going to end in destruction. In Proverbs 26, I love the word picture it paints. It says, it's better for a person to meet a mother bear being robbed of her cubs than to encounter a fool in his folly. And I love this because one of the things that I think is, again, a right fear, I didn't know this, Steve Hickson, talking about him, used to live in Colorado, he does again, and he was the first one to tell me that if you're hiking and you ever see a grizzly bear's cubs, you're dead. You just don't know it yet. And I said, that can't be true. He said, oh, it's true. And I said, no, 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 no. And he said, yeah. He said, they're so territorial around their cubs. If you're hiking and you see a grizzly bear's cubs, the mother knows you're there, sees you, and it's only a matter of time. And that has kept me up at nights, even though I'm not that kind of hiker and camper, you know? And I thought to myself, that's terrible. Proverbs says, you know where foolish people are? It's better for you to meet a mother bear being robbed of her cubs than to encounter a fool in his folly. It's not saying you're gonna get hurt. It's, gonna, it's saying you're gonna get dead, right? And this is the end goal of foolishness. And so today as we talk about it, as we talk about what foolishness is, as we, as we run through the gamut of kind of a big picture perspective of the path that Proverbs paints of foolishness, I think the question I have for all of us is where are we on the path in different areas of our life and what does it look like? What parts 
hit me in the feels? Where, where am I convicted about where I'm foolish? Because here's what the gospel does. The gospel's all about calling us out of something into something. It's the story of the Bible, boiled down. It calls us out of sin into righteousness, calls us out of darkness into light, calls us out of the world that we know to create a new world inside of this one that reflects the influence of Jesus, calls us out of foolishness into wisdom. And just like the premarital counseling and the categories, if you don't know what you need to be called out, to, out of, then how do you know where to step into the wisdom of God? So this morning is about foolishness. <laughs> this morning is a question about where we're foolish because it only leads to one place. And next week we get to get together and we get to talk about wisdom. And we get to talk about the idea that Jesus came and said, I have a wiser, better way, follow me. The gospel is about calling us out of something into something else. And it always begins with knowing what we need to be called out of. So as a people and as a group that are foolish and foolish often, may we see it. May we recognize it so that we can live into something better. Let me pray for us. God, I'm thankful for how good you are. I'm thankful that you've shown us what foolishness is so that we can see it in our life, isolate it, recognize it, and rid ourselves of it because there's a better way. There's something we're called out of and into. So as we have conversations this week about the spaces and places in our lives that we might be foolish, might you give us wisdom and patience and grace. Grace that we might deal with these well and deal with these in love. Because we serve a God who knows that we're foolish and loves us anyway. And it's ultimately good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.